0: You're listening to the 21st Century Guide to the New Testament series, taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Well, it is very good to be back after a long break, and I've been looking forward to this particular book, and then this series of books. The next few books we have come up are just, they're wonderful books, and they're a lot more conducive to this type of setting because I I felt like a lot of the times we've been going through books that have so many huge truths in them and they're so long that it's been very difficult to really get to all the things that I wanted to get to and then I feel like I'm skimming over things and you go through a whole gospel and it's hard to just pick out a couple points of application for us. But when we get to these books, they're a little bit shorter and Paul's writing, for the most part, for a very specific purpose and so it's very easy for us to look at these books tonight the book of Galatians, and just grasps onto the truth that Paul is giving to this, this church or these churches. And so I'm excited about this book tonight. Um, we have the opportunity to look at one of the clearest and most influential books written about the gospel. 2,000 years ago, there was a battle. It took place on a hill called Calvary. And on Calvary's hill, on Calvary's mountain, Jesus fought, and in his sacrificial death and his his blood that was shed and the resurrection of Christ, he had victory over the grave. And the victory was accomplished then. And as believers, we hold so strongly to the truth that Christ on the cross accomplished everything that we need for salvation. But that is the truth that was under attack here in the book of Galatians. Because that's the gospel, that that everything was accomplished on the cross and it's received only by faith. And what every other religion does, and even what many supposed Christian religions try to do, is they try to add to what was accomplished on the cross. They try to add their works to salvation. They try to add something to the blood of Christ, and you just can't do it. And so Paul writes this letter to clearly instruct this church on what the gospel really is. The church had received it right in the first place, and then they'd been taken the wrong direction. And he's saying, listen... The gospel is by faith, and it's by faith alone. And now that you have the gospel, now that you have salvation, you live a life of faith. You're not bound by the law. You have liberty in Christ, liberty and freedom. It's by faith alone, and then you live a life of faith, but there's freedom in your Christian life. And and it's kind of a knock against all of those that try to add works to salvation and then to try and merit God's favor by their, their works. And so this is a letter of freedom. Here we will see what the gospel is and we will see how the gospel works to change us. So let's pray and then we'll get into the book I've entitled The Charter of Christian Freedom. Father, we love you. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful book. This book that declares so clearly what the gospel is, that it is accomplished completely by Christ on the cross, that what he, when he said it was finished, he meant it. And Lord, that now as believers, once we receive that gospel by faith, that we continue to live a life of faith filled by the Spirit of God so that we can accomplish what you have for us. Lord, every single one of us in this room that, that no Christ is Savior, we have the same battles. We, we battle to um, try and please you, to try and live a life of obedience, to try and do what we ought to do. Lord, help us tonight to realize that we do that primarily by our faith and, and turning that faith that we have into obedience and allowing the Holy Spirit to empower our lives as we do it. Um, God, I pray that we would truly try and walk in obedience to the Spirit in our lives. Um, just, just convict us tonight, Lord. I pray that you teach all of us something. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the author of the book of Galatians was the Apostle Paul. He, he starts out his book in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. And here Paul starts, and in many of his other books, he introduces himself sometimes as an apostle, sometimes he introduces himself just as a servant of Christ, sometimes as a fellow saint or a fellow laborer, but he always introduces himself differently. It is unique to the book of Galatians where it's only an apostle. That's it. And there's a reason for that. Because in the book of Galatians, Paul is about to tear the church apart. I mean, he doesn't have one good thing to say to the church of Galatia, to the churches of Galatia, these churches here. Nothing positive about their church, nothing positive about their lives or about what they're doing. All he's doing here is trying to correct something that he sees as the greatest problem that they could have, a problem with their understanding of the gospel. And so Paul is writing, and when we, when we read the book, we see his passion. He's passionately writing with a fervor for the truth of the gospel. There are many other arguments that Paul gives nice, logical conclusions about and that he hints at, but there is no other book where he is as adamant about this a truth as he is about justification by faith alone, apart from works. And that is what this book is. And so he's writing with passion, and he says he's an apostle and nothing else, simply because he's trying to say, I've got authority here. God has given me, he's shown me the gospel, I know what the gospel is. As an apostle, I have an authority, you need to listen to me. That's his purpose in this introduction. He wrote the book in A.D. 49 to A.D. 50. This was the first letter that we have that Paul wrote of all of his letters. And the audience is the believers of the churches. Of Glacia. And so most of the other churches, of the other epistles that we'll read that Paul wrote, are written to one church, or, or what it seems like one church in a city. But Glacia is not a city, it's a province. And so if you pictured like the province of Ontario, you have province, and then you have maybe regions like uh, Chatham Kent would be a region. So there in Glacia, you have different regions. You have Pisidia, um, you have Lycaonia and you have different regions that are that that provinces separated into, and then within those regions you have cities. So when he writes to the churches of Galatia, he's writing to a number of different churches. And we can kind of determine who these churches are based on Paul's first missionary journey. Because when he goes on his first journey, he spends most of his time in the region, in the province of Galatia. He goes first to Antioch in Pisidia, and... He preaches the gospel, and there he gives a a wonderful history of how God used Abraham and all the way up through Israel's history to lead to Christ and to point to Christ and how Christ was the accomplishment of everything the Old Testament pointed to. And in Antioch, he is rejected in the synagogue by the Jews. So he leaves the Jews and he says, you've determined that you are unworthy of eternal life. And he goes, and and it's funny, because even though the Jews reject him, the Gentiles in the city, they want to hear the gospel. And so it says the whole city gathers together to hear him. And he preaches the gospel, and many Gentiles are saved in Antioch. But the problem is, a lot of the Jews don't like this, and so they get upset, and they start persecuting Paul, and eventually they run him out of the city. And so Paul leaves Antioch, and he goes to Iconium. And here in Iconium, there's many Jews that believe and Gentiles that believe. And so the the reception of the Jews is a little bit better at first, but then some of the Jews come from Antioch, and persecution starts again, and they try to stone Paul, and he narrowly escapes. So he goes from Iconium to Lystra. Lystra, he heals a cripple. And there, Barnabas and and Paul are worshipped like gods. People fall down on their face, and they worship them. But obviously Paul and Barnabas, they can't accept that worship. They're not God. So they direct that worship toward the true God of heaven. And very short time later, we find these same people that were worshiping them as gods now stoning Paul. And this time he is stoned and he's left for dead outside the city. So what does Paul do? He's healed. He comes back to life. He gets up and he goes to Derby and he preaches the gospel in Derby. And that is just the Apostle Paul. And so after he goes to Derby, instead of just going home, which would have been a short route and actually would have been a short route through his hometown, he decides that it's time for him to go all the way back through all of Galatia, back to Lystra, back to, back to Iconium, back to Antioch, all those places to establish the churches and to appoint elders in every city. So now you have not only disciples, or Christians made, but you have discipleship happening. You have a church. You have Paul thinking it's so important to go back to all these places because they, these Christians need to be discipled. And so it's, it's such an exciting first journey that Paul has. He goes back, he finally comes back to Antioch in Syria, and he shares with the church everything that's happened. And when he's back in the church, he spends some time there this time, and we find in, in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, that a troubling thing happens. Act, so he's back in... Antioch at this time, he's shared with the church about his first missionary journey and all the wonderful things that happened, all the Gentiles in Galatia that were saved. But we find that in, in Acts 15, 1, "...and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved." So they, now he's been there and he's seen all these Gentiles saved, and he's back in Antioch at this Gentile church, And these Jews who claim to be Christians and they claim to have the authority of the apostles and the authority of the church in Jerusalem come up to the church of Antioch, it's filled with Gentiles, and they're telling all of these Gentiles that in order to be saved, to be truly saved, you have to keep the law of Moses. You have to be circumcised. Well, these Gentiles, they've been living as Christians for a while, right? They've had the Spirit inside of them. They've seen Paul do wonderful things. They've seen their church grow. They've seen the Holy Spirit working. And it's been an exciting time in the Church of Antioch. But the problem is, these guys are coming with pretty good authority. They're coming with the authority of the apostles. And we find in Galatians chapter 2, that while they're there, even the apostle Peter, who must come up at some point here, he comes up to visit, even the apostle Peter is pulled away into this if you look at galatians chapter 2 verse 11 it says but when peter was come to antioch i withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed for before that certain came from james he did eat with the gentiles but when they were come he withdrew and separated himself fearing them which were of the circumcision so do you know what's happening here Peter's come up and he's seen the wonderful things that are happened among the Gentiles and he's been eating and worshipping God with them. But when these Jews come with the authority of James from Jerusalem, Peter kind of steps, steps away from the Gentiles and he steps toward these Jews and he says, oh yeah, maybe you do have to be, sir. maybe the law of Moses is really important for you to keep. Well, Paul is upset about that. And it says here in Acts or in Galatians 2.11, that Paul withstands him to the face. Okay, This is is controversy in this church. This is two men that have great authority, that are highly respected, and and one of them is saying, listen, what you're doing is dead wrong. You need to repent. You need to stop. That's Paul confronting Peter about his sin. And so eventually we find in Acts chapter 15 that, that all of them decide to go to the Jerusalem council. So Acts chapter 15 is a record of the Jerusalem Council. And here we find that, that Peter, he, he, at some point he repented and he got right because now he's giving testimony to the fact that Gentiles can be saved apart from the law. And the result of the Jerusalem cha- Council is very positive. Okay? As, a, as a whole, this, the church here uh, recognized that salvation was by faith alone and not by works. And that Gentiles did not have to keep the Jewish law to be saved. so it was a good outcome. Now, I'm telling you all this because I want to set the foundation for why Galatians is written. Because all of those false teachings that crept into the church of Antioch, okay, and you, you picture this, Jerusalem's down here, you have the Mediterranean Sea here, you have Antioch at the top of it, and then to the west, you would have Galatia. And so... This, this false doctrine that came up from, from Jerusalem is now traveling west into Galatia. And so even though everything is being fixed down here in Jerusalem, even though they've arrived at what the truth really is in Jerusalem, this false teaching that was in Antioch is now spreading across the world. Okay, it's spreading to Galatia. And so Paul writes the book of Galatians either on his trip back to Antioch or as soon as he gets back to Antioch, because he hears a report that the churches of Galatia are following this false gospel. That instead of following what they first believed, what Paul first taught, they're now adding something to their salvation. They're adding the law to their salvation. They're believing that in order to be truly saved, these Gentiles have to become Jews. Have to keep the law of Moses. So he writes this book with a very clear problem in mind. These churches in Galatia are following the wrong gospel, and they need to be taught that salvation is by faith in Christ alone. And you say, that's great, but we got that covered in our church, don't we? Don't we? Uh, Yeah, I I, I think that our church is very persistent at preaching the truth of the gospel. I, I appreciate the fact that every Sunday morning, Pastor Dressler clearly preaches the gospel, that we're all sinners, that we need Christ to be saved, that that is our only hope of salvation. I I appreciate that. But this problem of adding something to salvation has crept into every church that has ever existed from the, the inception of Christianity. This is a problem with mankind. This is a heart problem. Every single one of us has a desire to merit God's favor. We all want to work our way because it's, it, it's just not natural for us to say, I am nothing, God, you're everything, God, I have, I have no way. Just, I'm, it's, it's, it's not natural for us to humble ourselves. And so it's so important that we constantly preach the gospel to ourselves. The fact that we are nothing, that we can do nothing, that everything good that happens in and through us is because of God's amazing grace. This is important for us. Uh, it was because of this false doctrine that had crept, crept into the church throughout the centuries that the Reformation was necessary. Do you know that this book was called, Galatians was called Luther's book. Okay, Luther is the, the father of the, Refo- the Protestant Reformation. It was called Luther's book because every time that he wanted to share the gospel, that it was by faith, apart from works, he would look to the book of Galatians. And so his enemies and his friends said, look at Luther's book, instead of calling it Galatians. Luther himself said about the book of Galatians, this is my epistle, I have betrothed it to myself, it is my wife. He loved his book. I mean, he loved this book. And if you're a believer in Christ, and you're thrilled by the fact that you're saved by faith because you know you're nothing, you will love this book. Galatians is a wonderful presentation of the gospel. And not only is it a presentation of the gospel in how we're saved, but it's a presentation of the gospel in how we now live as saved people, in how the gospel changes every aspect of our lives. I mean, if you ever wanted a book that told you that once you get saved, you never leave the gospel, look at this book. The book of Galatians is the book for you. And so... With that in mind, let's look at its purpose. The purpose of the book of Galatians is to defend the gospel of justification by faith and to explain the function of the law, faith, and the Holy Spirit in the salvation and sanctification of all people. Okay, So first of all, we've covered that it's a defense of the truth of justification by faith. We, We get that part. But I think it goes on to explain the function of the law. So if the law can't save us, what does it do? What is it good for? It explains the function of the law. The function of faith. What does faith have to do with the Christian life? And is faith only used at salvation? Or, or is there something about faith that continues on and changes us? And what does the Holy Spirit do in that process? So we're going to learn about all of those things. This, the book of Galatians teaches about all of those things in how those things work together for salvation and sanctification, for us as God's people becoming more like him. We're going to look at these, these functions, the law, faith, and the Holy Spirit, separately to see how they work in the book of Galatians. And so in Galatians chapter 3, verses 11 to 14, we kind of see all these things working together. It says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. Okay, so the law ju- does not justify. It's evident. It's clear. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The law cannot save... The law has a purpose because we'll find in a moment that the law leads us to Christ. It leads us to the point where we understand we need faith and then by faith we receive the promise of the Spirit. So all these things work in our salvation and all these things work in our sanctification. The function of the law, first of all, it does not justify. The law cannot justify. Galatians 2.1, I do not frustrate the grace of God. 2.21, sorry. I do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness is come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So it does not justify, but it does lead us to Christ. Okay? We need to be very careful that we don't say the law is good for nothing because that's not true either. It doesn't save, but it does lead us to Christ. So in, in a sense, it's necessary for salvation because before you can understand that there's salvation offered, you, under, you need to understand that you're lost. And so it leads us to Christ. Galatians three twenty four. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law does not burden the Christian anymore. In other words, there's no captivity by the law. There's no curse of the law. Ultimately, we are freed from the law. Galatians 3.25 says, But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Okay, And so, as Christians, we don't just take take the book and try and, from from what the Bible says, make a list of ten things that a Christian does and ten things that a Christian doesn't, and just say, okay, for the rest of my life, I'm going to memorize these ten things, and just, I'm going to do them, and then I'm going to be a good Christian. Okay, That's not what this is about. It's not supposed to be that way. Okay, If we live that way, we have put ourselves under the law that Christ already fulfilled. And now, as believers, He has something better planned for us. The plan now is that we live a life through the Spirit of God. And so, when, when Paul talks about the law in the book of Galatians, he said, yes, we have, we've been released from that curse, we've been released from that bondage, but we are now under a new master, we're now under the law of Christ. The law of Christ. Oh, well, what's the law of Christ? Love God, love your neighbor. Okay, that's great. But when Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor... What did he say after that? He said that all of the law is fulfilled if you keep these two things, that that all of it rests on those two things, right? So Paul is not saying that the law was evil. He's not saying that the law was immoral or unjust or not right. He's saying that the way that the Christian keeps the law now is by living a life of faith that is empowered by the Spirit that will allow them to keep the law of christ and ultimately because the law that was given in the old testament still reveals who god is right god didn't change his moral attributes didn't change so the moral law of the old testament it, it still is in effect for christians it's just different it's not do's and don'ts it is spirit of god trying to keep the law of christ t- trying to love other people and love god Number four, the law does reveal what it is to love and obey Christ. Galatians 5.14 says, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So do, are we supposed to keep a law? Well, yeah, we are. Function of faith. That's the function of the law. What is the function of faith? Faith, first of all, leads us to salvation. Galatians 3.26 says, For all are children of God, by faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 5.5-6 5, 5 says, For we... Through The Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And I like that point, that that last part that's interesting to me. Uh, So first of all, we have salvation very clearly by faith. I mean, the word faith is used 22 times in the book of Galatians and just about every time he's talking about how salvation happens. It's by faith. But here we see that it's faith which works by love. And that leads us to the second point. What is the function of faith? The function of faith is now our sanctification. So yes, salvation is received by faith. But faith doesn't end there because faith, real faith, works by love. Faith works itself out. Um, A faith that works is a faith that works. Does that make sense? A faith that works Okay, a faith that is, that is profitable, a faith that leads to salvation, is a faith that ultimately bears some fruit. Okay? There is, there is this, this argument that goes on in Christianity, and, and part of it is just the labels that we give things, but you have the one side that is this, this kind of easy believism, and it's say these words, say this prayer, you know, just repeat after me and you'll be saved. Okay? And there's a lot of people that they say that prayer because they want to stop talking to you okay or because they've they've heard well if you just say these words you go to heaven well who wouldn't just say those words okay but the problem is in those presentations of the gospel there's often a lack of here's the law here's your guilt here's your condemnation this is who you are without Christ you are on your way to hell Okay? There, there's a lack of the, the truth of the condemnation, the just condemnation of sinners, and, and it's just like you just jump to, Jesus loves you, pray to him, and, and he'll save you. Okay, So there's easy believers on one side. The other side of that argument is called lordship salvation. And in lordship salvation, it says, the only way you can be saved is if you make Jesus the Lord of everything in your life. And so when you trust Christ for salvation, you are also obeying him in every way. And if you don't obey him in every way, then you're not really saved. Okay? Now, I I just presented the very extreme end of both. Here's the thing. The Bible teaches that you are saved by faith apart from your works. And the Bible teaches that that if you are saved by faith apart from your works, there will be fruit. And so if you, if you want to know where on this spectrum that I lie, I've got to lie a lot closer to the idea of lordship salvation than I do to the idea of easy believism. Because, I mean, you think about what salvation is. Now, I'm not saying I, I don't... I know Christians mess up. I know we fall. I know we fail. And I praise God that he forgives us. And I know that there are some Christians that go through... Uh, extended periods of time where they're in rebellion to god and the whole time god is working on them And and if he's not working on them, then they're not really saved So I I get that but what i'm trying to say is You do nothing to merit your salvation But if you understand that the point you got saved you repented of your sin You saw your sin as wicked before god You saw that jesus paid the penalty of that sin on the cross that 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 he suffered and he was separated from God and he died because you are wicked and terrible. When you, when you see that that's what the gospel is, I have a very hard time believing that you can repent of that and then never change anything in your life after you ask Jesus to be your savior. Do you realize that the, the words that are used for a Christian are a new creature? You're now indwelt by the Spirit. You're a child of God. You're a child of the King. You're joint heirs with Christ. You are a whole lot of wonderful, wonderful things. That happens the moment you believe. believe, Right? You're no longer a citizen of this world. You're a citizen of heaven. Right now, if you're saved. The moment you got saved. That's a huge change in who you are. Now you have God inside of you. There is no indication of Scripture that if you are not bearing fruit in your life that you should assume that you're saved. I guess that's the best way to put it. Now, none of those works got you saved. There is nothing you did to add to your salvation. All of it is just a manifestation of what God did in you. Does that make sense? And so, the moment you get saved, you do not... It's not like, okay, for the very rest of my life, I won't do anything that ever displeases God. But you do repent of your sin. You turn from it. You turn to Christ. You have a new master. Okay? You're a new person. Your attitude changes. Your attitude changes. And people will say, the thief on the cross, could the thief on the cross, did he do anything good? And, and their answer is, absolutely not. He had no chance to do good works. I bet he's in heaven wishing he did. And I bet that if he could get off the cross, the first thing he would do is fall on his face. The the attitude changes. And that's it for a Christian. We've got to get this. Everything about us changes. So Paul is not teaching that you no longer have the law, and so don't do anything. Do whatever you want. He is teaching that what happened in you, the spirit in you, this gospel, it's enough to change you. That that law, it's just... (laughs) I mean, it's weak compared to what you have now. It just led you here, but it can't now perfect you. You could never have been perfected by the law. And that's his argument in the book of Galatians. And so the function of faith is salvation and then it's sanctification. Uh, Faith, let me ask you, you have two people. And both of them pray to God and they say, Lord, I I have a field I want you to help me grow some crops and make it rain. Just, just help it to rain, God. Help all the, the, everything to happen properly so that I'll have a nice crop. And then one man leaves that place and he goes out and he plants his seed. And he gets ready for the, the harvest. And he's getting his tools ready. He's getting everything. The other guy goes out and he tells all of his friends that he prayed to God and that there's this wonderful thing that God is just going to miraculously do in his field. The question is, which person actually had faith? I think it's the first guy. It's the first guy that said, God, God do this. I want you to do this. Here's the seed. I'm going to put the seed in the earth. I, I'm, uh, so is it the person that just says they have faith? Or is it the person that acts like they have faith that actually has faith? Isn't that James' argument? When he says, show me your, your faith without you, my, your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works? Works produce, or Faith produce works. Do you know how all of this is possible? How all these good things actually happen in the end? Ultimately, they all happen because of the Spirit of God. Twenty times in the book of Galatians, we have the Spirit helping believers, empowerment for Christian living, strength to stand against temptation, help to be more like Christ in our attitude and our actions. All of this happens by the Spirit. Let's read the, the wonderful verses in Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. And these these might be the best verses in the New Testament to explain how you live the Christian life. Okay? Galatians 5, starting at 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another, so that you cannot do the things you would. But if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, and so this is, this is what he's going to say. His argument here is, when you're in the flesh... These are the things that just naturally happen. Okay? The works of the law, the works of the flesh, they're manifest in these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But in contrast to the natural things that happen when you're living in the flesh, this is what happens when you live in the Spirit. Okay. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Aren't those wonderful verses what happens naturally in a Christian? Do you know why that every single day we don't have to pound into Christians? You know, you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this, otherwise you're not a Christian. Do you know why? Why we don't have to Because the Spirit of God is inside of them. Because the Spirit of God is working in every single one of us. And that Spirit of God, is going to, God is going to complete the work that He started in you. He's not just going to leave you the way you are. This is a wonderful truth for Christians because, I mean, I see people that I'm like, oh, like, they're blown it again. This is terrible. What, you know, I just, I just wish they'd let me fix them. I just wish they'd let me fix their situation. It's not my job to fix their situation. I can give them all the rules and all the right advice and all those things. You know what has to happen? The Spirit of God has to work in them. So what is a Christian's responsibility here then? It's just to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. But how often do we do that? I mean, how often do we consciously think about walking in the Spirit? That, that the Christian life is not about rules, but it's relational. We say it all the time. I know we say it. But how often do we, does our relationship with Christ and, and the, the power of the Spirit in our lives manifest itself in us just being joyful? Being joyful when it seems hard, when most people wouldn't be joyful. How often do we see ourselves showing gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance just because it's just coming out of us, because we're being obedient to the Spirit, we're walking in the Spirit? That is how the Christian life works. See, we never left faith, we never left the Gospel, we never left the Spirit that was originally given. All of that just happens in the Christian life, and we become more and more like Christ. And that is God's plan for our lives as believers. So in summary, the law leads us to knowledge the knowledge that we need salvation by faith. Faith is God's requirement for salvation, and, the best- and by faith we have the bestowal of the Spirit on us. And the Spirit helps us to live the life of faithful obedience so that we keep the law of Christ. See how all those things work together? And by the way, do you know how you see whether you've demonstrated faith in the past? Just, just ask yourself if you've been Faithful. Because faithfulness is just faith in action, right? Every day I walk with Christ, every day I do right, every day I'm I'm faithful. That is every day me demonstrating my faith. And so your history demonstrates how much faith you've demonstrated in the past. If you have a history of being faithful to Christ, then you see a a past of great faith. And if you want your future to be a, a future where you're demonstrating faith, then every day be faithful faithfully obedient to the Spirit. We all like faith, right? But it's, it's hard to convince people that the most important thing is just faithfulness. So, the outline of the book. The first two chapters, I believe this is the introduction to the book and the authentication of Paul's apostleship. So he's introducing himself. He's, he's trying to demonstrate that he, he really is an apostle because I think that's being challenged here in the church because the gospel's been so messed up. Chapters 3 and 4, it's the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And chapters 5 and 6 is the practice of the life of liberty in light of the gospel. So 3 and 4, he gives the the deep doctrine. These are the truths. It's what you need to know. And just like Paul always does, he finishes with 5 and 6. Here is where it gets practical. Here is where these truths change your life. Key verse of the book, Galatians 5, chapter 1. Stand fast, therefore, in liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That kind of sums up Paul's message to them. You've got freedom in Christ, so stand fast in that freedom. Don't be entangled with that, the yoke of bondage that they're putting on you. Lessons learned. Very quickly, two lessons. Number one, religious actions apart from a relationship with Christ are futile. when I step back from this book and I tried to look at the the whole picture of the book, you you realize that he's writing to a church and their problem is that they're trying to keep the law, right? He wrote the last book to the church of Corinth and what was the problem with the Corinthians? License. I mean, they had no regard for the law. They did whatever they wanted to. They were doing terrible things in church, And so now he writes to a a church who is trying to do all the right things. In fact, maybe they're going even further than they need to go, in a sense. They're keeping laws that aren't for them. And to this church, who from the outward appearance has pretty good actions, he writes a book where he says nothing good about them, and he scolds them. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 1, he calls them foolish. You can't call people a worse word in this day than a fool. And he says, you're so foolish. Why? How could you possibly think that the law is going to perfect you when you didn't even start there? You started in the Spirit. So you'll be perfected then by the Spirit. It just makes sense. He calls them fools. We think of the, this idea of like, okay, well this person, they're just a little bit legalistic, but hey, no big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. Because Paul thought it was a big deal. Because any religious action that is apart from relationship with Christ is futile. People that are not saved that are doing Christian things, are washing their hands and cleaning their clothes as they walk toward hell. And people that are saved are walking beside some of those people just to kind of make sure they get there. And that's, that's kind of the idea, right? That, that's his, what he's upset about because he knows that there are people that are just going to ca- start becoming Jews and think that makes them Christians. It doesn't. Acting like a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Faith in Christ makes you a Christian. And so... Religious actions, it's a, it's a big deal. If you're a Christian and you think that, that now the Christian life is just about keeping the right rules, do you know what he's saying here, this, what this book is saying? You may as well not do it. I mean, it, it, it's futile, it means nothing. All of these religious actions are actually counterproductive if you're not doing the things because you have a relationship with Christ. And you won't do those things if you have a relationship with Christ because the Spirit will guide you otherwise. So if we are doing the right things for the wrong reasons or by the wrong power, we should check ourselves. We should go home and really examine our lives and say, do I do what I do because I I love Jesus, because I have a relationship with him, because I'm trying to follow the spirit in my life, or do I do what I do because I've been always taught that that's what I'm supposed to do? It's important. Number two, true Christianity is not void of works. True Christianity is not void of works, and I want to make it clear that in this book of freedom, Paul is saying that there is a right use for your freedom. And the right use for your freedom is to glorify Christ by keeping the law of Christ. It's not void of works. The opposite is true. Now these works are more perfect because they come from the heart. Christianity, honestly, everything we do has to come from the heart. They're now empowered by the Spirit, and they exemplify the character of Christ. When you look at that, that list that the, the Spirit produces in your life, doesn't it just jump off the page to you that He's describing Jesus? Right? I mean, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Yeah, that's the perfect person, the perfect man. That's Jesus. Okay? And so when we follow the Spirit, that's where He's leading us to be more and more like Jesus. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Um, Galatians, I think, is a needful reminder for us. It's it's not about how we see each other. We're reminded that how I see you and how you see me means nothing if it's not in each of us. And so as individuals, it's important that we look at our motives, that we look at our lives, and we say, God, am I doing what I do because I love you, because I'm following your spirit? If not, it is a serious problem. And Galatians is written, thank God, to correct that problem. And I love that God used this Terrible problem in a church 2,000 years ago to correct the problems of legalism throughout churches all the way through history. Especially during the Protestant Reformation, but now even today. To say, listen, that's not what it's about. Don't mess with the gospel.